0: This is the Fuente Podcast. We're going to continue with Genesis 15 this time. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. All right, pausing right there. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram. Now, what's interesting is this was pointed out to me by Mike Heiser in his book, Unseen Realm. Unseen Realm. A lot of times whenever the word of the Lord is said to appear, it appears in, in an anthropomorphic version of God. That is a human-looking version of God. Well, how do we know that there's actually something physical here? Because it says the Lord came to Abram in a vision. So that word vision. What's interesting about this anthropomorphic language is it really counts against people who claim that the idea of like a trinity or a physical manifestation of god is something that's new in the new testament there was actually an ancient uh jewish idea of two powers in heaven that was not considered a heresy until the second century a.d after christianity and so it was well within mainstream and, and orthodox Jewish thought to have these this multiplicity along with this unity to God. And you can see it in these verses like where it talks about the Word. Now, am I the only person who's ever noticed the Word here uh, being anthropomorphic? No. Um, actually, if you look in Acts 7, verses 2 through 4, you can see where... Uh, Stephen, when he's giving a speech to the Sanhedrin, says the glory that uh, the God of glory appeared to our father Abram while he was in Mesopotamia before he settled in Haran, and said to him, "Go out from your land and from your relatives, come to the land I'll show you." Etc. Etc. When it says he appeared to him, it's the Greek, "of and that's the it's a passive heiress third person, singular. he would translate it, was seen. So there's that visual idea. Again, he was seen by Abram. And you can actually see this is a, a different point um, than when Abram's mentioned having, uh, seeing the Devar in Genesis 15. So there's multiple times he appeared to him physically. Um... In the Hebrew, when it says appear, it's ve'ira, which is um, that's also dealing with vision. Uh, and if you look on, uh, if you go on into verse seven, to your offspring I'll give this land. He built an altar to Yahweh who had appeared to him. That's hanir, uh, a which that's the same that same root of. Ra'ah, which is to see. So uh, in original language in all these three areas we're seeing this physical appearance of Yahweh and he's in in the, the two in Genesis he's being called the divar, the word of Yahweh is coming to Abram in a vision. that word is machatz, machatz, machatz. the the root is Mahatse. And so uh, that's that's also dealing with like vision and seeing. So you have all these different places we're talking about God's being seen, but isn't God invisible? Well, I mean that's a problem depending on how you look at this data. I remember there was a point uh, in my past when I thought that in the in the past the Jewish religion must have been more anthropomorphic, and that this language was mixed with the Bible and later theology said God was invisible. I don't think that now. I think you could still argue that, obviously. Uh, I actually think it was more complex and I think in the ancient mind it wasn't all... because remember these people aren't post-enlightenment, and you gotta have it all hammered out in every detail, have it work out in this specific way, and have all these clear rules. they wouldn't have come up with a Trinitarian doctrine because it just wasn't that important to them to have it in like clear, concise, logical language. Um, so I think they could see. And there's even scenes later on in the Bible where it'll talk about the angel of the Lord, and then the angel of the Lord will talk about God in first person. It'll say that you know Abram turned to God, and it's talking about the angel of the Lord. And so, well, is it, the, is it the angel of the Lord, or is it God? And really, that word angel is just malik, it means a messenger. And so there's like this physical manifestation that's a messenger, that's God. But then there's also like the God who can't be encompassed within a physical form and exists in only one location. So somehow that paradox made sense to an ancient mind in a way that is confusing to us. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? I want to pause on this Avram, this name Avram. That's, uh, Aleph, Bet, Resh, uh, Mem. Uh, Av, together, means father. Ram means great. Now, later on, God's going name Abraham. And Aber it, it would, um... That now looks like a new word. Avar means to protect, or to to be mighty, mightiness. Ham would be uh, like a direct object marker, or maybe like a genitive marker for uh, third-person plural. So that would be the mightiness of the nations. So he starts off as great father. Later on, he's going to be renamed mightiness of the nations. Avar being mightiness, and uh, Ham being uh them. So why all this talk about the words Devar here or the Demahatse and you know the talking about the nifit participle or whatever nifel part all this stuff it's to point out that the that the word here is this physical thing is visible to Abraham and you have sort of this hint of something that kind of resembles like the Christian idea of multiple persons in a single being like the Trinity additionally what's important is looking at the word the word here Devar what's another place that the word pops up in the Bible that's 1 Samuel 3 if you go there and look at verse 10 then Yahweh came and stood there. Okay, so he's standing. And he called out as before Samuel Samuel, and Samuel said, Speak, your servant is listening. And you skip on to verse nineteen. And Samuel grew up and Yahweh was with him. He did not allow any of his prophecies to go unfulfilled. All Israel from Dan to Bersheba realized Samuel was a faithful prophet to Yahweh, and Yahweh appeared again in Shiloh, for Yahweh revealed himself to Samuel and Shiloh through the word of Yahweh. That's 1 Samuel 3, 19 through 21. So he's revealing himself, and he's revealing himself through the Word. What's another place this pops up in the Bible? John. In the beginning was the Word, the Logos, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So you see how John is riffing off this, this idea of this person it's like an anthropomorphic physical manifestation that is God and also is separate in some way. And just like um, the this character, the word, in these two stories from Samuel and from Genesis, that's exactly how John wants us to interpret Jesus. There's nothing new and heretical about it. He's pulling on this, this riffing idea that's been going on, in the Old Testament. Now, what is happening if there's words? Well, someone's speaking. Okay? And if you look at the beginning, um, the way that Yahweh creates is by speaking. He speaks things into existence. So, there's a connection between word and creation, Devar, because Elohim speaks in existence or order occurs. The devarim, that's the words that are spoken, are tied to creation. Words also tied to anthropomorphisms as we've seen in 1 Samuel and Genesis. So you could say that words, and when something's spoken, it's the words. The words are the bridge between the ruach, that's the spirit that hovers over the waters, and physical reality. The words are what get us to physical reality. Our universe is spoken into existence. Words are the things that are spoken. It's how bara Elohim et HaShamayim ve'et eretz It's how God created the heavens and the earth. He speaks and it happens. John uses this language in his intro. In the beginning was the Word. He wants us to tie back to that Genesis account where God is speaking, and that speaking causes creation. The word Logos was the connector between God and creation. He was with God, and he was God. And through him, all was created. And he's hyperlinking with that word, word, to this physical idea that we see in parts of the Torah and in the Nevi'im, the prophets. Right, continues. Uh... See where did I leave off? Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your great. I am your shield. Your very great reward. So I'm the thing that defends you. I'm also the thing that you went out for in the end. The the reward. But Abram said. So yeah. Uh, remember in Genesis 12, God promised Abraham uh, a son. He promised him that he would bless the nations through him. Then Abraham is, uh, he goes through this whole battle scene with all these kings. And so after this, the word of the Lord comes to Abraham. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your great—I am your shield. I'm not sure why Abram would have been afraid. You're a very great reward since he just won that battle. But... Alright, uh, let's see what Abram responds to God. But Abram says, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus and then it continues and abram said now what's interesting i've mentioned this in previous podcasts that it was a literary device to have a character say something and then have the other character not respond and then have the and then have the text say and character number 1 continued to say and that was supposed to highlight the other character's reaction that they didn't say anything. So let's reread Abraham's words and keep in mind that God sits there and doesn't say anything back. Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus. And then there's an awkward silence. It doesn't say it in the text, but it does through literary device. We know that God didn't respond. He sat there and stared at him. Breaking the silence, and Abraham said, You've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Listen, God, you you haven't given me what you said you'd give me, so now I'm going to tell you how things are going to go. And it's going to be my servant that will live out the promise of blessing the nations. Um, is Abram trusting God here? No. Uh, is God angry? Maybe. We know at least he's not he's not saying something back. He's wanting Abram to continue on what he's saying. Maybe Abram will see his own folly as he's speaking. But instead he doubles down and says, It'll have to be through my servant because I can't have the kid. And he talks about, too, he brings up this guy Eliezer. Eliezer means blessed by God what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus he's not thinking about what God has said to him in the past he's thinking about how the world looks right now and the common sense way that the world looks right now is that Eleazar is the one who's going to inherit how's this apply to us today we're in a very chaotic time in the world right now it's June 29 2020 we got like Cops kneeling on people and protests and outrage and pandemic and um, like weak leadership. And it's a mess. Tons of debt. The future looks bleak. And we're going, how can righteousness be vindicated in the end? How can it turn out okay for us, even if we're good people? And... We have a decision to make. We can either trust in the promises of God or we can try to take matters into our own hands. And that's what Abraham does here. He tries to take matters into his own hands. He says, "Look, God, this is how it's going to be. Listen. you've given me no children. okay? So you wrong me, that's first first of all, second, so a servant, in my household will be my heir." Now this is what. Then the word of the Lord, that divar, came to him. And this is what the Devar says. Okay, Notice these words aren't the Devar. The Devar is speaking to him. It's this physical thing he can see. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside. So he took Abr- Abram outside. Obviously he's physical. He's able to take a guy outside. Look up at the sky and count the stars if indeed you can count them. They said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Um, Paul quotes this later on to talk about how faith has always been a fundamental part of belief in Yahweh. And in Romans, he's arguing that the Christians, and, or actually the Greeks and the Jews should be unified because the story was always about faith from the beginning anyway. And it was always about trying to bring back the unity between God and the nations. It was never just about the people of Israel. God chose Abram so that he could bless the nations. And it was credited to Abram as righteousness whenever Abram had faith. So these key themes are already here in the very first book of the Bible. And so in Romans later on, Paul's trying to argue there's, there's nothing controversial about this, and we're supposed to integrate the people of the world. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, so look, once again, we see that um, Abram doesn't say anything. It's just like how, it's a reversal of how whenever... At the beginning, Abram spoke twice and God didn't speak. Now God's speaking. Abraham's not answering. Aaron said nothing. All he did was believe. God continued. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. Oftentimes, God's going to have discussions with us to rearrange what we think of as ourselves and what we think of as him and what we think of as our purpose and what is put out for us. Here, God has just redefined what his promise is going to be. Your offspring are going to be like the stars in the sky. He gave him something to look at. okay, And he could look up at those stars and they're a symbol of that promise. Just like the rainbow was a symbol of a promise. We're looking to the heavens as a reminder of God's chesed, his faithfulness, his mercy, his love. Now, that he's reminding him of the promise, he's reminding him of who he is. Look look at what I've done for you. I'm the Lord who brought you out of Earth, the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. Now Abram responds, after God got those two words in. Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? And so maybe he's thinking, you already showed me that my my descendants will be like the stars. What's something physical you can show me to know I will take, pos- my, my ancestors will take possession, not ancestors, my descendants will take Possession of the promised lamb. The Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. We saw a dove earlier in the story of Noah. And the dove was, it showed selfless love. Um, unlike the raven that just flew away, the dove kept coming back. And it was the one that brought a branch whenever the waters were going down. Um. And it brought an olive branch, which are bitter. So it was like a selfless act to show that the waters were going down. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. Um, Barit is the Hebrew word for a covenant. And that's also uh, to say you're going to make a covenant, you karat a barit. You cut a covenant. And here, when they're making this covenant, they're cutting these animals in two. And basically the idea is if either one of us violates this promise, this covenant we're making, then we'll be cut in two for, for breaking them. We'll be like these animals in the middle. Aaron brought all these things to cut them in two and arranged them in halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. There's something really, really profound here that goes over my head. And that's why, you know, you should always be rereading the Bible every couple of years so that you can see these things and maybe make sense of them in times when you didn't make sense of them before. And I'm not sure what the story is with these birds of prey here, but all these words are purposeful, especially in Genesis. As the sun was setting, now this is interesting. Because we have like a weird time jump. Earlier in the scene, we were looking up at stars. Now the sun is setting. So I don't know if this is the next day or if this is two different stories that were edited together or what the story is here. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep. It's the same word as when Adam sleeps. When uh, God fashions Eve from his side. Um. And a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Hosek. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country that will not be their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. So dark times are ahead. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. So he says, there's rough times ahead for your ancestors, for your descendants, but it'll be good after that. I'll vindicate them. I'll redeem them. I'll bring them out of their servitude and into a promised land. That theme, by the way, is going to be repeated over and over in Scripture. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. Um, Alter here uh, Claims there's a contradiction Because this says the fourth generation But above it says 400 years uh, I don't really have You know an opinion one way or the other But um, It's there y'all could do whatever you want to With it Yeah I think uh, this might Go along the lines of the same Perhaps one manuscript Had this taking place at night And the other at sundown And then one had it four generations And the other had it uh, 400 years, I'm not sure. Okay, when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot and a blazing torch, so two different things, appeared and passed between the pieces. Now, ordinarily in one of these covenant ceremonies, both the parties to the covenant would walk through the split animals. But here, Abram is laying there, passed out, and instead just a smoking fire pot and a blazing torch moved through. Smoke and fire. Uh. Um, so, in Smoke and Fire, interesting, they kind of point to God bringing order to nature. Because if you remember, where was darkness and light being split before it was in the act of creation? On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said to your descendants, I give this land from the Wadi of Egypt to the great river of the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Canaanites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. So God have promised to bless Abram's nations, uh, bless the nations through Abraham. He's appeared as the Devar, this physical word. The word is, you know, impliedly what comes out when God, Yomer, when he when he speaks, stuff into existence. Um, so there's a physical word spoken to existence, makes a promise that he'll bless the nations, cuts all these animals in half, walks through on behalf of Abraham. Abraham never walks through these things. So basically God says, if I breach this covenant, um, I'll be cut in half, and if you breach this covenant, I'll be cut in half. Either way, I'm going to get cut in half, which is interesting because that kind of ties into the idea of if, you've, if the word is Jesus and he's a suffering servant on behalf of us to restore our relationship with God. Um, us choosing to define good and evil for ourselves is what ends up bringing punishment to him. And already here you can see a hint of God's character where he's saying, I'll take the punishment. I'm the one who walks through.